Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back, Redheads, to another episode of the Redheads Book Club November edition. This was our spookiest month yet, and I'm so excited to catch up with my girlies. Bex, let's start with you since this month was a Becky's choice. How are you? I'm so great. It is spooky season. I'm feeling good. It, I mean, honestly, it's like 70 degrees in New York City, so I feel like we had like a touch of fall and now we're back to like a semi-temperate summer climate, but everything's great. Um, I'm just really excited. We were just talking about my girl Jax coming to New York, celebrating um, a certain somebody's, um, how you say, 30th birthday coming up. So I'm just feeling all the feels, getting the gang back together. The gang will be back together. Margo, are you so excited for us to be back together, the Redheads in the Flesh? I'm so excited for the Redheads to be back together and to see my family, even though I was just with them. Do you miss um, us already? So much. Do you miss me? So much. Like, so, so much. We were talking about it all day. We talked about it on the toast today. I saw We just that. miss you as always. As always. Yeah, no, I'm so excited. And how are you doing in your personal life, Snatchler? Personally, I'm doing great. Can't complain. So good. Yeah. How's your other podcast going? My other podcast is going great. Thanks for asking. Nicole's good, you know. We're just keeping on keeping on. Great. And Dana, how goes it with you? It goes. Not much to update. Oh, my sister got engaged last weekend. That was very exciting. Oh, mazel tov. Oh, Thank mazel you. Mazel to Jesse. Thanks, everybody. It was the most gorgeous day out on Sunday. It was like 70 degrees. Beautiful, beautiful occasion. Great time. And besides that, not too much going on. Very excited to get into this book. Yeah, I'm excited Same. for another beautiful day of the redheads also before we get into everything we launched merch two weeks ago and we didn't talk about it on the last episode so things are still available at shopmorningtoast.com in the redheads category we launched four sweatshirts one long sleeve a tote bag two hats a mug notebook the merch is so sickening and I think some things are sold out but a lot of it is still available. So definitely get some if you're interested. I love the Redheads branding and I think it makes for the cutest merch and also mm -hmm. a great conversation starter when people are like, oh, what's that? And you're like, let me tell you about my book club and then you can talk about books. And it's really a great icebreaker. So check it out. Also, a lot of people have asked if the sweatshirt material of, the, of this collection is the same as the collection we dropped two years ago. The answer is no. We dropped that last collection in like February. So the, sweat, the sweaters were really thick and like hardy robust these yeah these sweatshirts are more lightweight like more of what you would expect from a typical crew neck nothing too thick so there's something for everyone check it out at shopmorningdose.com and rep your girlies the merch is so unbelievable yeah. mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I almost am like needing to distance myself from it because it's all I've been wearing and I think like <laughs> at some point people are going to be like is this like your mental institution wardrobe because like <laughs> girl you have got to change your clothes I could not recommend it more the sweatshirts are the perfect lightweight slash heavy material like it's it's the only option I'm telling you I'm wearing yeah, the no, white one so right cute. now and it is amazing you look great Dana thank you it's one of my favorite from the selection I and mean I've literally lived <laughs> in the gray Margo has been wearing the gray, the gray long sleeve every single day oh, while she was I in love Florida. that one too no, I love it so much, and I've been wearing it, like, every day since I've been back. I did finally throw it in the laundry, so I'm going to not see her for, like, a day. 
but I will miss her. Snatch, that is I so saw funny. you repping it this morning. It touched my heart. I wasn't expecting it for you, the, the gray long sleeve. No, like I wasn't either. Like it's not my normal like thing that I go to. Like normally I'm like a big sweatshirt girl, but something about this one, it just really, it just really hit me. Yeah. I left it on her bed, like in a cute pile when she came to stay with me. And I think it just resonated with the counts. Plus that one was a large, I think you're liking the oversized nature of it, counselor. Yeah. Yeah. It like hits my knee. Yeah. It's really, really chic. So that's what's new with the brand. We have another great episode of the podcast. The November episode is always a Becky's choice, of course. And historically, it's been pretty hit or miss emphasis on the miss. So I'm so excited historically the last two years. I thought had, you were saying like, and this is the miss. And I I'm, I mean, we're no, about to get into it. I'm honestly so curious. We haven't talked about it at all. We haven't talked about it at all. And honestly, I'm really curious to hear your guys' opinions. And I think it will help me form more of my own opinions because I have my own, but I haven't spoken to anyone about it. So I don't know exactly how to feel. And I feel like someone might say something that strikes a chord in me. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. You're excited what counts? To talk about it. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. I honestly just feel like I'm at a disadvantage. Like knowing my November historical situation and just like we love a combat of snitch no 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 no. I will warn you like it's not nearly as bad as it's been like I won't be I'll be like five is like middle is neutral I'll probably be like a 6.5 great okay yeah so before we get into our thoughts I'm just going to do a little recap of the book for anyone who read it a while ago or didn't read it or just wants to hear me talk more This month, we read Hester by Lori Lico Albanese. It is a book that's a play off of Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter. So I know what the Scarlet Letter is. I think a lot of people know just the theme and the moral of the story. But I don't know that I've ever read the Scarlet Letter on my own. Maybe a class of mine covered it, but I wasn't paying attention. But still, like I know, you know, it's about shame and public shame and et cetera, et cetera. And so this was the author's take on what she thinks happened in Nathaniel Hawthorne's life to lead him to write the Scarlet Letter. At the end of the book, the author makes a note that all of Nathaniel Hawthorne's other books are based loosely on things that happened in his life. And this is the only book where they can't find the historical facts of it being linked to him. So she like wrote some like fantasy fiction fanfic about Nathaniel Hawthorne's probable extramarital affair. And as a concept, I really liked that. The story follows Isabel Gowdy. She's a young girl who's raised in Scotland. She marries um, a man named Edward who is an apothecary slash doctor in Scotland. He faces ruin because he's addicted to the poppy, which means like drugs. He's a drug addict and he abuses like the drugs that he has in his own store and that leads him to bankruptcy and financial ruin. So they flee Scotland and come to America on a ship captained by Captain Darling. On the way over to America, Isabel and Captain become close and she saves his life with her stitches because Isabel is a very talented seamstress, dressmaker, tailor, all of the things. She also has an interesting personal backstory. Her ancestress was a convicted witch and though she escaped it's been something that's really colored Isabel's life and the life of her maternal ancestors and Isabel uh, Isabel herself thinks that she might have some of that enchanted witchiness in her she sees colors it's a thing called synthesia which the author describes as at the start of the book as associating sounds or words or people with different colors and apparently this is something that's A lot of people have, and it's not that crazy, but I guess if you don't have it, it sounds sort of interesting. So apparently Billie Eilish has it, and Isabel had it as well, and she wasn't sure if this made her a witch. She was told to keep her colors to herself, but as she gets older and older, she can't help but express her colors in the things that she does. So her and her husband come over to Salem, where her husband quickly goes back on the ship and starts um, trading, but not really, and he's 
like a fuck up. Um, but Isabel is in Salem planting roots. She has a cottage. She sees like a cute man's named Nathaniel Hawthorne. He's a writer. He's like brooding moody. And she's never known love before. She married an older man and not for love, but just because she thought it was, you know, the safe choice and obviously it turned out that it wasn't so her and Nathaniel spark a romance that at times you really think is like OTP really sweet until they're a few weeks into it he only comes around at night he won't recognize her in the streets and he also was really like not excited for her husband to come back but like ready for him to come back because that will mean that she has to go back to her man's and Isabel won't be with him he's not looking for anything serious with Isabel he has a few you know moral convictions that are kind of immoral and red flags start to pop up along the way at the same time Isabel finds out that she's pregnant but she doesn't have her husband Nathaniel will not stand by her side and so she has to carry this child and this burden alone her husband comes back to town and once more tries to fuck her over but she escapes with the help of her wonderful neighbor Mercy and from there she goes back with Captain Darling to Halifax Nova Scotia and lives happily ever after really and then like a million years later her and Captain Darling finally get together even though he's the only man of honor in the whole book and she could have married him like on the journey over to America in the first place so this story kind of fills in the holes of how Nat Hawthorne might have been inspired to write the Scarlet Letter about a woman named Hester and that would make Hester Isabel Gowdy Hester's daughter Pearl would be Isabel's eventual daughter Margaret and Nat himself would be the priest Arthur who wait has an affair I need you to say that all again because I understood everything in the book besides everything that was italicized besides what those were the past flashbacks of her ancestor yeah everything italicized Oh yeah, they they flash back a few times to her ancestors and his ancestors. I was waiting for some deeper meaning, but it wasn't that. No, Snitch, so the premise of this book, you've heard of The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah, Easy A with Emma Stone. Easy A, exactly. It was written in the 1600s. It's like one of the most famous pieces of American literature. And it's about a woman who has an extramarital affair and a child results from it. And she has to walk around with an A. So it was written by Nat Hawthorne, who wrote a lot of other books. And all the other books were based on truths in his life. So the author of Hester was like, well, then... Scarlet Letter is probably based on a truth in Nathaniel's life. I'm going to write what I think happened to inspire Nathaniel Hawthorne to write that book. Got it. So. So in this book, Isabel is Hester. The Scarlet Letter. Yes. And in his book, you know, she stays in Salem and has her kid there and just lives a life of shame. But in perhaps his real life, she took her daughter away and it was a different outcome but perhaps and and in the in scarlet letter like the woman is a seamstress there's a lot of similarities that i read that yeah and like the acknowledgments yeah there was a lot of things going on that i didn't understand so it's like a little bit of historical fan fiction well what do you think about that counts what do you think about that counselor i think that that makes sense that feels right (laughs) That feels right. Okay, so I hope I explained the book as best as possible. Honestly, yeah, you um, crushed that. I mean, we'll see what we say at the end of this episode, but you could also just read it. Like, it was an enjoyable read. So let's talk about if we liked it or not before we get into all the questions. Bex, let's start with you as this was a Becky's choice. Great. Well, I thought this was the perfect book for fall weather and spooky season, so I loved that. Um, and ultimately, I thought this book was excellent. Um, I really appreciated the concept of historical fiction featuring real-life characters. Um, I also really admired Isabel as this very strong, skilled, and spirited heroine. And I feel like it easily could have been a story mainly about Nathaniel Hawthorne, but I loved that it was a powerful female immigrant who was the core focus. Um, And I also just liked the, the specific era details, like the... 19th century fashion trends and commerce and medicine. Um, And then I loved hearing about her embroidery and she was just so skilled. And then the colors and the visions really allowed her art to come to life for me as a reader. Um, So I just like thought all of those details combined made it like a really fascinating, different read. Um, 
the topic of witchcraft coinciding with the synthesia, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenon was really clever, I thought, because obviously like witchcraft was such a topic back then and she had these visions, which we now understand better, but like at the time, like that was – she really did feel like there was something witchy about her. Um, so I thought that was really well done. The flashbacks and the ancestral vignettes were a little disruptive for me and just interrupted the story's momentum at times. But I did understand their value, and I think it's crazy that like those flashbacks are rooted in our country's actual history and like these trials really did happen. So honestly, it was a book that I thought about when I wasn't reading it, and I really like couldn't put it down. And it also stayed with me now that I finished it, which I feel like is a sign of a great book. So I felt really, really good about this read. Great. Okay. That is so wonderful to start off with. Dana, what did you think? I was so confused how I felt about this book because like part of me reading it, I was I was so like, I was a little bored and I couldn't not for the life of me remember the characters. Like I was really struggling to be like, who's Charlotte? Who's Abigail? Who's Nell? Who's this? Like it just was not sticking for some reason in my head. I think I was like having ADD reading it or something. But then at the same time, I really enjoyed picking it back up. I had a dream about it. It stuck with me. It was kind of a comforting read. Like I liked getting enveloped in that world. And it's not something I think I'd ever read on my own, although I did love The Scarlet Letter and that brought back flashbacks for me. Like every SAT essay I ever wrote was like about shame versus guilt in The Scarlet Letter. So that evoked some sentimentality. But overall, I am more positive than negative over this book. I just struggled to like really delve in in each character and remember who is who for some reason. Interesting. That's so not like you. I know. I just Wait, I couldn't agree more. Like at one point I was like, who the fuck is Isabel? <laughs> yeah. Like I was, I, I don't know why no, only everyone's name was Isabel or Margaret. Yeah, that was the point. They were like. I know. But even still, I was like, who the fuck's Isabel? Um, I enjoyed the book. Huh? I wouldn't say that I, I just don't know that I was the audience for it because I literally didn't even know that there was like so many connections and stuff until like about five minutes ago. So I feel like it's really unfair for me to judge it. But at the end of the day, what I will say is that I'm just like not a huge historical fiction girly. So like I, I was at a disadvantage, Rit was at a disadvantage of me liking this, like, you know, but what I will say is that I can definitely appreciate it, that it was very well written. And for that, that's where a lot of my rating will be coming from. (laughs) I agree with Snitch. Like, this is not a book I would have chosen for myself. I feel like if it wasn't a Redheads book, I might have even, like, given up at 10% and just been like, no, I just because, like, it's just not what I wanted. I'm shocked. It's just not what I wanted to be reading. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was really good. I totally agree. It was so well written. Once I finished the book, I read the author's note, and then I looked a little bit more into Nat Hawthorne and the and the stories in his life. Like, I loved the idea of what she did. It kind of reminds me of, like, Inglorious Bastards a little bit, where it's, like, you know, fantasy historical fiction. I think it's, it's a really cool idea, and it makes a lot of sense. Like, all his other books were true. Where's the lie, you know? So I thought that was awesome. Also, I liked a lot of parts of the book reminded me of the show Outlander, even though I didn't like the show Outlander and I didn't finish it. I felt like I was able to set the scene for like all those Scotland scenes and the the um, the fairies and like I, the, the whole thing about like witchcraft in Scotland is a very big thing in Outlander, especially season one and especially the witch trials. So that was pretty cool. And then, yes, Salem. I've never been to Salem in my mind or in a book. And so it was cool to see what goes on there. I also, the Salem witch trials, I'm not read up on at all, but the concept really fascinates me. Like the fact that so many people could just believe such a lie and this like herd mentality that is based on like it's a joke like witches you know and they're literally burning people at the stake like because nobody wants to like think other than the narrative the way that I wish witches were real you know like I wouldn't I wouldn't burn them I would like put them on a pedestal no yeah like put them to work yeah like like, I want this wish and that wish 
Yeah, they just were so one-track-minded, you know? They weren't thinking of bigger picture. It's literally so crazy to think about, like, how people can get so carried away in a zeitgeist that they're burning women and children over witchcraft, which, like, we know is not a thing. Totally. And these are, like, religious people. It's just, it's wild. So that always fascinates me. So it was cool to read a book about that. I read it literally on Halloween weekend. Couldn't have been more perfect. I feel like I never read a spooky book. So I'm glad that I read it and it was well written. And I, I, I thought it was really well done. There's nothing I really would have asked for to be different. I agree with you conceptually. I love that kind of like prequel idea, like Wicked to Wizard of Oz. Just like what happened beforehand? Yes, yes, exactly. Today's episode of The Redheads is brought to you by Bookfinity's Moody Awards. It's that time of year again. Time to pick your favorite books you've read this year, so be sure to check out Bookfinity's second annual Moody Awards. The Moody's are not like other book awards. They're cool book awards. Rather than vote for your favorite books by genre, with the Moody's, you get to vote for your most loved books by how you actually read, how they made you feel. This year's categories include empowered, inspired, happy, scared, informed, and amused. Go to bookfinity.com slash vote to check out all of the 2022 nominations, including Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, The It Girl by Ruth Ware, Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, and so many more. Voting starts today through December 5th. Check back on December 9th for the Moody Award winner's announcement. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the rest of the site. You can get personalized book recommendations from Bookfinity by taking a quick five-minute quiz to discover your reader type. And you can also track books you've read and want to read with custom book lists. I loved finding out my reader type from Bookfinity. I personally am a time traveler. We've covered what all the other redheads are. I know Becky is a heroine addict. Snitch is obviously a romantic. So check out your reader type at Bookfinity and cast your vote for your most loved books at www.bookfinity.com slash vote. That's B-O-O-K-F-I-N-I-T-Y backslash V-O-T-E to vote today. Okay, so let's get into the DBQs. I found a wonderful book club guide that really- (laughs) I'm so happy for you. The questions get to the heart of the matter, I think. So our first question, at the beginning of the novel, we are told about the unique phenomenon of synthesia, which plays a major role in Hester. In what ways does Isabel's synesthia, I don't fucking know, serve to propel the narrative forward? I feel like it's like the entirety of the narrative. It it really colors her like personality and interactions with people like her relationship with mercy is really influenced by these colors and seeing the words embroidered within mercy's shawl um it has like influenced her relationship with her mother her father edward nat like i feel like it's like the entirety of like her being and the relationships like are are like really worked around this yeah. disorder phenomenon however you vision it yeah but i also feel like most of the time the colors like didn't lead her astray you know if she saw something as a certain color like it had a certain meaning and most of the time that was true obviously with nat it wasn't or maybe what he was saying at the time he meant but then later didn't mean it um, and I also feel like they changed like with her age and her wisdom, she started to see truly like see things differently and, and thus the colors would change as well. Just like they went away when she was grieving. Like I feel like they were perfect like markers of like where she was at mentally. I totally it's also, agree. It's also interesting how like the advent of science informs our previous misconceptions that we dubbed magic and witchcraft like now there's a term for what she was seeing but back then they just dubbed it as sorcery when like similar with schizophrenia it's like oh my gosh this person has supernatural powers oh no actually this is a mental illness like there are ways to describe it scientifically that back then was just not part of the vocabulary that is so true Okay, early in the novel on page five, Isabel's Auntie Eileen says, quote, to clothe a woman is to hide her failings and frailties. Throughout the novel, Isabel helps to clothe many women, including herself. Does Isabel take the same view toward clothing as her aunt or is her approach more nuanced? I feel like it's the similar approach, but instead of like hiding someone's 
quirks or frailties, like Isabel's actually accentuating them in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the situation, but I feel like it, it probably accomplishes the same goal of like distraction, but I, I don't feel like Isabel was ever trying to like hide what other people were doing, but but more so like work with it. Yeah. Like Charlotte's pregnancy, she was definitely tasked with creating a dress that hid it. But but she instead she, she just created a beautiful yes, dress that yes. like happens to hide it as opposed to just like some sack and like but on even her own yes on her no, own cape like she was stitched all the stuff that was not hiding her past despite like how shameful it was right that's exactly what I was gonna say oh, like that's right so funny. stitching the story it's like definitely not hiding any failings she's like really like honestly promoting and and memorializing a part of history that. Maybe she should have felt more bashful about. Yeah. Honestly, the cape kept bothering me because it was causing so many problems. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it was also the best way to show off her work. So she was like a walking billboard. I guess totally. But, like, she could have made a billboard of, like, fake things. That's true. But she's not a fake girl. She couldn't fake it counts. I guess. I just, like, wonder, like, how filthy it was. Totally. Okay. Oh, for sure. You know what I couldn't give two shits about? What? The Adam and Eve shawl. Same. Like, oh, when she oh my was God, do- yeah. When she was doing it and kept coming back to it, I was like, is this meant to be good? Like, I feel like if anybody sees it, they're going to think that, like, you're wicked with, like, the, you know what I mean? Like, I was just like, I don't. I don't care, and it's not going to solve your problems. This supposed to be this climax of like at this ball with this Adam and Eve, I will be noticed, and my life would change. And then it was like, wait, are you even going to the ball? Like, is he even helping you anymore? Like, no, fell and by then the she wayside. went to the ball, and they were sequestered. Like, they she wasn't yeah. even in the same room as the people who would be coming to her for dresses. And it's like, did she not know that that was going to be the case? Because she wore like a fabulous dress to the ball, and then didn't do anything about it. Hundred percent. That was a flop yeah. for me. Plot hole, yes. The ball was a flop, and I knew when they were, like, talking about it throughout the whole book, I'm like, this is where it's going to all come to a head. Like, you know, the yeah. fall ball. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yawn, this isn't a Hallmark movie. Like, who cares? Totally. They literally were in there for five minutes, like, went through the side entrance, and then, like, dipped. And I was like, oh, maybe yeah. Nat will, like, bring a girl, and that will be the drama. It's like, no, he brought a sister. Like, <laughs> nothing happened. Yeah. He was such a yeah. waif. <laughs> he was literally a waste of space. Yeah. Wow. Did you feel that way from the beginning or were you enchanted by him? I wouldn't say I was enchanted. Were you in love with him, counselor? No, I was definitely intrigued because I liked that he was like nice to her. But um, I don't know, like he just he was kind of weird to me. He was weird. And he, he he really started to bother me. And I think for Isabel, too, when he was like, at first he was like, you know, it's like you were a figment of my imagination and now you're here, which is like sweet. And then eventually it's like, it's like I dreamt you up and it's like, no, I'm a real fucking person yes. who's been through shit. And like, I, he, she was like, he would look at me and just see himself. And it's like, yeah. go away. Yes. I'm honestly so impressed that she was able to come to that conclusion because like, honestly, I was sort of enchanted by him. Like when he was saying that stuff to her, I was like, this is so romantic. And then she's like, um, pardon me. I'm real and you're selfish. And I was like, oh, actually, she's right. And I loved He when- was like a narcissist. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And when they were like, is witchcraft a thing? And then when he was gaslighting her, like, you enchanted me to come to you. And then she's like, I thought you dreamt me up. Like, which one is it, buddy? Yeah, totally. He was giving Steven from Tell Me Lies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A hundred percent. Okay, next question. Examine the various positions and choices that women in the novel are given and have to overcome. What journey did each of these women take and who do you think ultimately overcame the most? Probably Mercy. Yeah, I think Mercy too because I think she was up against the most and like, you know, sneaking people from – like slave states to be free, I think was the biggest risk any of the characters were taking. And especially compared to like what Isabel was going through, which when we were reading Isabel's narrative, I'm like, oh my God, how is she going to do it? Like, this is so hard. And then you read Mercy's story or the story of the kids that she was um, living with and their uncle and and Zeke. And it's like, oh, they're going through the most and mm-hmm. the way that she's dealt with it and like the ingenuity that she's had and also like the strength of of spirit to like do all of this and keep doing it even though it's so dangerous I'm like queen yes 
And yeah. like the flashback chapters in the italics snitch with all those women in the past who were getting killed, like they too. Went oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. I forgot about that part. Yeah. On page 190, Isabel tells Nat, quote, women want to read love stories to know if a man is good, if love is true, who and what can be trusted. Discuss the different men in Isabel's life. In what ways is the truth of this statement revealed through Hester? In the words of Amy Schumer, you do not want to marry the best sex you've ever had guy. That guy is in jail. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that sums up Nat. I think that's what the author was trying to get across. (laughs) Totally. Um, But yeah, Yeah, I I also just wasn't really expecting Edward to be such a piece of shit, you know? Yes, yeah. like they alluded to that in, in the start, like when she was betrothed to him, she was like, and then it was going to take a turn and I just didn't realize, but he really was a piece of shit. Like, yeah, yeah like everything. I didn't think he was going to try and kill her. Like, I just thought he wasn't going to like love her. Right. And I thought when he faced like ruin that that was when he was shitty, you know, like that, that was the hard part was over or even when he like left her and he got off in uh, the ship. Barbados. where. Yeah, and he didn't come back on. I was like, okay, so that's the end of Edward's yeah. story and how he yeah. – But no, it just like kept no, He's like a cockroach. She like would not die. Yeah. Yeah. I like But that. I also feel like between Edward and Nat, like Isabel had really two very different experiences with quote-unquote love. Like the first mm-hmm. time she went for like the sensible choice and like still that never turned into love. And then with Nat, she went for like, you know, the passionate choice and still that wasn't love at the end of the day. So I feel like – it showed like a good range of like relationships and, and how they can be misleading in different ways. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. I like there was a line where she was referencing her scar from their first meeting and she was like, this is the only thing left from that meeting. And I just thought that was poignant of like, there was nothing left from Ooh. the love that we shared that one time when he took care of my wound. That's good. I missed that. Same. Same. But- Danny, you made it up. You made it up. Discuss the significance of Isabel's colors. What do you think it means that she has lost them at certain points in her life and gained them back? Why do you think she is unable to see colors with certain people? I feel like it's the same as – Oh, sorry. The last part of the question, I don't know. Yes, is a good question. I feel like we already talked about the first part, but, like, I don't know why, like, with the widow, she wasn't able to see colors. I just feel like there's some people, like, how – Edward in Twilight like couldn't read Bella you know mm-hmm. and there's just some people who are like just don't ha- like you just can't read in specific for specific or no rhyme or reason so I feel like that's just what we have to accept here yeah no but I feel like the author w- wants us to take something from it but I don't know what it is Who's, who couldn't she see just the widow or was there someone else there was three people whose colors were the same to her including the widow and I think it was like all good people the widow Mrs. Silas oh yeah Mrs. Silas and yeah. maybe another and maybe it was yeah. all the fact that they like had like connection through witchery that's like, what I was Mrs. gonna Silas say had the familial roots back in like the um Salem trials and then the widow like her sister had some witchcraft roots so maybe that was the nod that was my thought and like the widow could see her she was like oh I I know you're obsessed with Nat like she saw through her so it was almost like their ancestral witchery overpowered um hers but it's not a great explanation but I agree with it was like some connection with their witchery oh I don't think I feel like it's like I don't know who the third person was but I feel like Mrs. Silas for whatever reason and obviously the widow like I feel like they have so many walls built up that Mm -hmm. like you know I don't know what Mrs. Silas had been through but obviously like the widow she wasn't going to let anything on by the way that she spoke and so maybe for Isabel would be colors but for other people you get like an impression from someone you get like a vibe and I feel like for her like she's speaking plainly because she's like been so burned in the past oh I like that like impenetrable you she can't see through all the layers to get to the colors yeah that's what I feel I like that and also for like why it went away for some period of time I feel like that was getting at just grief like grief muted all of her colors when her mom died and it wasn't until they shook her out of her reverie and brought her to a new world that like she could reopen that door yes and I feel like 
the colors mostly. It was how she saw people, how she sees the world. And, you know, if I had colors, I probably would see other people's sayings differently than the colors that she saw. So I feel like grief was just like the world was gray. Yes. And so that's all she yeah. saw. It wasn't people had changed or if she lost her powers. It's just like the, the lens. Yes. Like gray colored glasses. Totally. Okay. Next question. On page 252, Isabel asks herself whether Nat is a cruel man or a weak man. By the end of the novel, what is your opinion on Nat's cruelty or weakness? Is it possible for someone to be both? I think he's weak. I think he's an impressionable weak man. Yeah. And like thought he was someone like strong and and like innovative, but really he was just impressionable and a child. Because at the end, he does kind of try to offer to help her and like send her away to a house where she could be pregnant without the shame of the public. But yeah, I would have to say- But that was his weak, like, yes, agreed, because he's yeah. not cruel. He wanted to help yes. her, but he was still acting incredibly weak. Yeah. Oh, no, that was an argument for weak over cruel. Like a cruel person right. wouldn't want right. to. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know that I would say he was cruel or like evil, but he was just like a pousset. Yeah. Yeah, but at a certain point, like your weakness is cruel. Is cruelty. It, <laughs> it was like a toxic yeah. relationship. Like when they were when he was teaching her how to swim, and then she gingerly brought up like, "I'd like to go to Maine with you one day, maybe." And he just was silent and like was not budging whatsoever on telling her what she wanted to hear. I was like, "Oh, he's not into her." Yeah. No, it's all downhill from that day at the cove. Yes. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, yeah, but yeah, also I feel day. like his weakness versus cruelty again like showed up even in his position on slavery where it's like he was yes. pretty much saying like, yeah, slavery is bad, but, you know, it's not our problem. Yeah. So I feel like that's an yeah. incredibly weak position that veers into cruel. Yes. Yeah. I mean, 1000%. I also felt like that his opinion there like kind of felt out of character. It was the first thing that he did where it was like there was no um, mincing words. I feel like for some of the other stuff, like you could interpret whatever he was saying as like genuine love. But then that was a turning point. That's a good point. You know, because even when he was saying like, I see, you know, you are like a figment of my dreams. Like even mm -hmm. though that's not what she wanted to hear, like someone could interpret that to be like, Oh, you love me so romantic. Like yeah, like literally girl. me. That's how I interpreted it. <laughs> yeah. No, but I really felt what she was saying after a certain point. It's like, no, that was cute at first, but like that just that negates everything she's ever been through because she's just like it exists for him. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Okay, next question. Hester is a novel that imagines the inspiration for Hester Prynne, the heroine of The Scarlet Letter. If you have read The Scarlet Letter, Dana, does Isabel's story resemble how you might have imagined this woman's life? It's just like my memory of The Scarlet Letter was so focused on shame versus guilt. She wears an A because she is a public secret, but like other characters in the book hid their secrets. So they had guilt, mm. not the public shame. And like at least that's my personal takeaway from the Scarlet Letter. And this book, I think, dealt a lot less with other people's guilt versus her open shame. So it was obviously the same story. Like the, there were parallels and I could envision how the characters le led similar lives. But I wasn't reading it with all these deja vu moments of like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly how I pictured it. Oh, cool. Yeah. You know what? I actually kind of liked that I didn't really know the details of the Scarlet Letter because I wasn't so caught up in like, oh, Hester would do this or Hester would never do that. So that was kind of nice. And yeah. I also feel like my only reference of the Scarlet Letter is that movie Easy A. Yeah. And I just kept Literally. thinking about Emma Stone's character. I was like, was her name Hester? Was it Isabel? <laughs> like, that's really what I was referencing. That's so funny. I want to read it. It's good. You should. Is it long? It can't be that long if I read it for like – no, you definitely read it for like AP Lit. <laughs> no, it was like, well, I guess if I wrote about it on the SATs, it must have been high school, but I don't think it was that long. You could definitely read it. 222 pages. Yeah. I can fuck with the 222. Do it, Bex, and report back next month. <laughs> okay. Guys, <laughs> putting a lot of faith in the in-between reads. <laughs> okay, next question. Scott is... Scottish myths and elements of the magical world run throughout the novel. 
How does Isabel's belief in magic and the spirit world change throughout the novel? What do you believe is real or possible? That's a great question. That's a great question. I do feel like- Also because I don't think we even read about any actual magic that occurred. Yes, Isabel ancestress, like when she was torn down, like when she escaped the witch trials and she was like by the banks of the river, like dying, the fairies nursed her back to life in the fairy world. I think they took her baby that she was pregnant with at the time and then she went back to the world of men and and lived a very nice life and had a lot of more babies. But to your point, mm-hmm. Snitch, I kind of liked how it wasn't so um, obvious in the normal plot about the magic because you were left to your own interpretation of like, wait, is this sorcery or is this just like the power of women coming together? Did she actually evoke someone to come help her when her leg was tied to the table when Edward held her captive? Right. Or like, did she just have good karma and someone on the walk was able to stop and run to her? Like you were constantly doubting whether whether it was witchcraft or whether like she was just a powerful woman because she believed in herself. So like, I kind of like that dichotomy. Yeah. But with Isabel, I never thought anything was witchcraft. Even when she was like willing someone to answer the door, I didn't think that she willed it. I, and eventually found out that that mercy told the undertaker's wife. Um, But I do feel like there's something about folklore and things in our, in, in the past that it's easy to more romanticize like uh, a spiritual or, or magical element. So with Isabel the Ancestress, it's like, oh, she wasn't doing well and the fairies brought her back. And that's just sort of like the lore. Hmm. The lore. I've never heard yeah. the word folklore used, not in reference <laughs> to the Taylor Swift album. Oh, no, like, li- like the story of Isabel Gowdy in the 1600s is like folklore you know she was by the banks of the river and the fairies saved her they took her baby and then she went back to the world of men yeah that's folklore for sure if i had to guess sure okay consider isabel gowdy and her legacy as well as well as the legacy of other women in isabel's family including her daughter which of the women in the family do you think were the most influential what do you think isabel and margaret's legacy will be Isabel Gowdy is her is is our Isabel or is that her? They aunt? they they both, both are, but this question is about our Isabel. Got it. I think her the other Isabel incredibly influential. Um, I think that Isabel and Margaret's legacy will be like strong, independent women who can like make it without the help and assistance of other like like men mostly. Yeah, and like for yeah. the first time in their family lineage, they're going to have an open and honest conversation about their powers. Like the novel kind of ended with like, okay, I'm going to now tell her about Nat and everything that comes along with it. Whereas Isabel's own mom silenced her yeah. when it came to her colors. So that was kind of a deviation that was like a welcoming next generation thing. Yeah, I feel like Isabel Gowdy Sr., we'll call her, was like kind of a North Star for all the women in the family because she was one, like a cautionary tale, but also an inspirational tale. And all the women that came after her sort of lived in the shadow of everything that she went through. And I feel like the the women, like Isabel Gowdy Jr. and her mother Margaret, and like their legacy is that they're amazing women and amazing mothers and like just matriarchs. And I think even the fact that they're all named after each other just like goes to show that. Um, but I do think that with Isabel and now Margaret Jr., Jr., uh, it will change a little bit to be like more open and, and even more modern. I feel like that's the effect of going to the new world and they're embracing modernity and like being more modern women while still taking with them like everything that their ancestors have instilled in them. Totally. Even Margaret's Margaret Jr.'s job, like she's like yeah. really passionate. I can't remember if she's like an activist or like a scholar but um I think like a teacher I thought she was a writer (laughs) she likes to write but I thought she was a teacher I don't know yeah I have no idea I can't remember she was in that but she was something literary yes yes something scholarly something scholarly education forward that wouldn't have been possible education yes so I feel like it – and it still probably was a little less common, just like kind of pointing to like her pioneer energy. Agreed. Yes. 
And yeah. I feel like throughout history, like, especially with a lot of people who have emigrated to the U.S., like, the person, whether it's in the 1600s, 1700s, 18, like, the person who goes from the old world to the new, like, they're the ones who have to bend. And, like, I think a lot of ways they bring with them what they came from, but they're the ones who have to change the most to, like, assimilate, for lack of a better term, to the new world. And then their children are the ones who get to enjoy all the benefits of that. Yes. Yeah, totally. I don't think that Margaret Jr. like really faced any hardships in her life. I mean, finding out that your mom is in a book and that that's your dad and everything you thought was Compared to hardship that her brother went through, like that's nothing. I do agree. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay, next question final question on page 313 Isabel says quote like Nat himself the book was a truth within a lie and a lie within a truth consider Nat's personal journey and his relationship with Isabel in what ways is this statement true it was ironic how Nat was simultaneously denouncing running from his family wanting to be anything but them but then would not leave Salem with Isabel because he couldn't leave behind his roots and needed to find a way to reconcile it etc it's like do you want to be totally different from them and start anew elsewhere or do you like constantly feel this intertwinement with them whereby like you need to resolve it yeah and also like the fact that he was so resentful of his lineage and you know everything that came along with it but at the end of the day like was like my name is all I have yes it's like bro but you hate it no he's so 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 what do you have agreed it was like just a cop out he just wanted to be miserable and that was a good reason for him to be but like yo you are not your ancestors like if you want to be a good person you don't need to be weighed down by this curse and like self-inflict harm on your back shoulder with cross hatches every night (laughs) right right yeah we have one more question actually how did the end of the novel make you feel what do you think comes next for isabel and margaret in their relationship and their story I just want to say I loved the end of the novel because it was really a happily ever after. I just was mm-hmm. frustrated that Isabel and Captain Darling like missed so many years where they could have been together. They didn't get together yeah. for like 20 years after they moved. And that was frustrating to me. And even when she was on the ship leaving Salem and like she knew that Captain Darling, he wanted to marry her and she was like, no, I feel like, you know, for the narrative, the author had to do that to show that like Isabel could be on her own. But it was like she finally found the right man. So like, why can't she just do it with yeah, him? Yeah, you totally. know. But I think she no, was, was residually burned from the fact that like the only two men she ever encountered in her life turned out to be actual trash bags of trash filled trash. Of course, but like she's known Captain Darling for like a year now. He's always done right by her. He paid all the debts. Like he put in the work and. Yeah. It, it was just a little frustrating, but I understand why it had to be done. And it's true. Like Isabel did need to stand on her own two feet, but it was just like 20 years of, of missed time. Maybe what's next for Margaret Jr. is she wants to go find Nat and they get involved in the shit's show again. Yeah. That would be so frustrating if I were Isabel. Yeah. It's like, you know what I mean? Like that's probably the most annoying part of even telling her daughter that, yeah, that constant urge to be like, wait, can I meet him? No, it's like, no. Yeah, scram. (laughs) Scram. Okay, next up we have the redhead questions. I actually only got one redhead question about this book. I guess everyone else had like the easiest time processing it. So first and only question, I am a high school English teacher, so I was wondering if you all had to read The Scarlet Letter in school. If you did, what were your thoughts about it? Have your thoughts changed after reading Hester? Um, yes, I read it in school. I loved it. It clearly didn't make that much of a memory impact on me because as we discussed, I was not comparing uh, Isabel to Hester the entire time. But I think the book is just so impactful in general on society. Like EZA made a killer movie about it. It's an extremely household name. Everybody's heard of The Scarlet Letter. So I'm kind of happy it got brought back into the forefront of our memories because, you know, it was time. And like, yeah. there are certain books that I wish I read, like like just the classics, like Jane Eyre and and the Green Gables one that Jackie loves so much. Um, Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables. 
And so I appreciate this book because I think it will inspire me to read The Scarlet Letter and otherwise I most likely would not have found a reason to pick it up. So I like this kind of resurgence taking place. And one thing I want to add that I liked about this book, and this is how I felt about the kitchen front, it's they kind of like leaned into the societal expectations of women and sewing. And it wasn't such like, I don't always need a code name Helene where they're jumping out of planes and doing the manly thing and like going against what normal women in their time are doing. Like I liked how her passion was her needlepoint and she owned it and it was not looked down upon that like, oh, just a housewife who's sewing. It's like, no, she loved that. And that was the time. And there's and nothing. She was so good at it. So good at it. I just like wanted to. Same. I couldn't really visualize work. it. I know. I know. Yeah. I I'm having a hard yeah. time visualizing it too. Snitch. That's why it's best if it's in your imagination, you know, because then it could be like amazing. Definitely. But honestly, and I feel magical, like what she really. did was better than what my imagination could come up with because I don't really know how to imagine. Like I can't imagine <laughs> the coat, cape. Oh, I can. I just feel like it was like a tapestry of of things. You have to remember like there were no pictures. So it's just like creating things that look like what they look like in real life is a of huge course, skill. Of course, so skilled. I'm the one who's not skilled because I can't imagine it. No, but I feel like I feel like you don't have to – it's not even anything crazy. It's just like, you know, a ship and the nature and it's just beautiful. Yeah, fine. That's fair. Colors. Colors. Okay, let's get into the moral of the story. What do we think it is? Dana, I'll start with you. Nothing so deep. I just had believe in yourself. I feel like that was the thing that propelled her through the whole story, believing in her needlepoint, believing in herself. Without that, she had nothing. Yeah. Bex? I feel that, Dee. I had strength and perseverance will lead the way. (laughs) That's beautiful, Becky. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mine was what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Ain't that the truth? I feel that. Jax? I always like just choose whichever one you guys said that I agree with most. And I I think it's believe in yourself, you know, like. You mean yeah. strength and perseverance will lead the way didn't <laughs> resonate with you? You're not no, getting no, that it was tattooed. Really, it was a really close second, but I feel like that's what Isabel needed to do. She needed to trust herself, trust her colors. Like, you know, you're perfect just the way you are. And all of these things that make you different are what make you special. So lean into that. <laughs> Love that. You're her. not getting that tattoo. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> okay, now it's time for the Hollywood treatment, everyone's favorite segment. I mean, who knows if this would ever be made into a movie. I actually think it would be a very nice looking movie with like people speaking and like the color, their words being colors. Like I, I could see it. I just, I don't know if it'll happen. But in case it does, let's give our casting suggestions. Who did you have for Isabel Bex? Jackie Ashray. <laughs> oh my God. I'm Ooh. just kidding. I, I mean, like obviously you're the star. And I also had Sadie Sink as your um, backup. That's a really good one. Dana? That's a really good one. Madeline Pesh. Really good. Thank you. Snatchler? Sophia LaCourt. I'm kidding. I'm going to go with Sadie Sink. That was a great one. That was a really good one. Um, I had Eleanor Tomlinson, who played Demelza in Poldark. So she's a British girly. She would have – if you Google a picture of her, like, she is Isabel. Google her. Eleanor Tomlinson – Pole dark. Eleanor. So you don't see like her red carpet pictures. You see her in like a period piece. Let me know what you think. Oh, yeah. That's her. Oh, yeah. That's her. (laughs) Now I need to Google it and see what you guys are. (laughs) Sar? Wow, Counselor Snitch. Yeah, that's her. That's our girl. That's our girl. That's our girly. Okay. Who do you have for Nat? Becky? Ansel Elgort because he's also a weak man. Uh-huh. Damn. Dead. That's actually pretty good. I have Dana? Robert Pattinson. Okay. Not the craziest thing. Yes. Snitch. Okay, like mine, you're going to just not like, and it doesn't align with his age or anything, but like literally the entire time, the only person that I could imagine was the creepy guy from House of the Dragon who watches Al- Allison's feet Laris? in order to give her tea. Yeah. No, I saw like a creepy creepy. guy. I just got creepy vibes. Like that was my vibe from him. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Well, I had Dylan O'Brien. 
Dylan. Who, um, I feel like he's, he's, so, he's too young. No, he's 31. I looked it up. Oh, wow. I don't know why that was, I never like think about Dylan O'Brien, but I was like, that's the vibe I'm getting. Just like brooding, handsome. Yeah, I could cool see guy. that. I just don't know. What is he in? He was in, I know. The all too well 10 minute version. Oh yeah. Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien. Oh there my God. Yeah. He was in all too well 10 minute version. Thank you, Counts. You're welcome. Okay, now it is time to rate this book and bring our discussion to a close. So, Rebecca, what did you rate Hester? I gave this book a 4.6 rating. I love wow. it. Wow. Wow, she went there. Dana? I gave it a 3.3. Dana, what? Wow. Oh, that's high for me. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Satchelor? 3.5 for me. Okay. Wow. And I'm giving it a 3.8. Okay. So our overall Redheads rating for Hester by Lori Lico Albanese is a 3.8. Feels, feels right. Low. <laughs> feels right. No, that, that feels right. Like it's almost a four, but for some reason it isn't. Also, it was weird to me. Obviously now I know why it was called Hester, but... If you just read the book and like didn't read any of the other stuff, it's like the fuck is Hester? <laughs> no, a thousand percent. That's so totally. funny. I liked I liked the title, and I listened to the toast today, and you guys were or yesterday's episode, and you were talking about spare, and I really like that name for mm-hmm. a book. So I think I don't know. I just like a punchy one word. No, the title is great. Like given the context, I'm just saying. Like if you only yeah. picked up the book, you would be like the. If you had no what? idea what the Scarlet Letter was, you would say was. what. What? Yeah. Okay, now it's time for the other books that we read this month. Snitch, let's start with you. Okay. Um, I reread It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover just because the sequel came out. And I had read it like six years ago in college and I literally did not remember the plot. So I just, you know, read it again. And it was good. It was never my favorite book. Then I read It Starts With Us, which was the sequel. Um, And it was so bad. Like, I'm sorry. It was just, it was not good. Like, I'll be the one to say it. And then I read The Friend Zone. Um, oh, Claudia, Claudia liked the sequel that to one. The Friend Zone. Yeah, she told me to. It was, it's by Abby Jimenez. And it was so good. Loved it. Classic, you know, my type of vibe. Um, oh, I'm supposed to give yeah. ratings. I forgot. I don't really do this part this often. Um, it starts with us. I'll give like a 2.5. The Friend Zone, I'll give a 4. And the sequel, I'll give a 4. And then I read um, I'm in the Middle of Forever Never by Lucy Spore. So I'll keep you all posted on that. Wow. One. Big month for Snitch. Yeah. Not really. I feel like I've been doing better. Like that yeah. was only three. I feel like oh, that there were so many months where you didn't read one other book though. What do you think it is that makes you read? Honestly, I think it's Halp Reads. She like makes me read because she's always reading. Oh, so I have nothing else to do. I love that for you guys. Bex, yeah. you read anything? I didn't read anything, you guys. That's okay. I'm sorry. We're coming into like real reading season. I feel like in November and December, like between mm-hmm. the four of us, we read like 20 books. Yeah. I need like really amazing recommendations. But honestly, I kind of want to read The Scarlet Letter. So Put it on your list. I feel like I have so many I might want to read. Like I need to get to all of them. Um, but I'll share what I read this month. I read three books. I read The Club by Ellery Lloyd. I really liked it. It was like – um kind of not thriller but just like murder mystery fabulous people fabulous setting it's like a private members only club for like a-list celebrities off in an island somewhere and like a bunch of people die and so it's like going through the weekend the events of the weekend and like who died how did they die etc it was pretty good I gave it a four and I enjoyed it if you're looking for like people always ask me for a wreck of just like rich murder vibes that's perfect for you then I read Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Oh my God. Because Dana highly recommended it. And it really is like the book of the moment right now. And I talked about this a little bit on The Toast. I can recognize that this was a good book, but it filled me with such dread. Like I can't remember the last time reading a book feeling this way. Like it was positively dreadful. Like it was, the characters were just so <sighs> dreadful and the plot just like kept getting worse And I didn't know where it was. And it was like things were going so well for them, like externally. But like the people were just like miserable and like growing apart. And it was it was just like filming with like existential dread, honestly. And I feel like some people commented, you know, this is like kind of like the millennial 
story like energy no it's like it's like a story early 2000s they're like video gamers and someone was like this is like you know could be like the the picture of like millennials and I couldn't disagree more I, I don't relate to any of those people and it just was so honestly I don't have another word dreadful like I want to say negative or pessimistic but like it wasn't necessarily (laughs) but it was just extremely like not upsetting but like just had a pit the whole time but it was like they're having they're so successful like life's great like where we want to go who do we want to be we're at the top of our game we're doing exactly what we want to do and it's like no one can just be happy not even close. But wasn't it so well written? Yes. No, and I could recognize it is a good book. So for that reason, I gave it a four. I think for other people, it's like a five. But, and for me, it was probably, I probably enjoyed it at a level of a three. But I gave it a four because of all those reasons stated. Then I read, read The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. We love Marie Benedict over here. She wrote The Personal Librarian. She's a historical fiction queen, always finds a compelling woman in history and then tells their story. This was about Hedy Lamar, who is a real person. She was a famous actress. And I'd heard her name. She was in like movies in the 50s and 60s. But what I didn't know was that she's an Austrian Jewess who fled the Holocaust and came to Hollywood because that's where all of the Jews from... Europe were going because they couldn't get jobs anymore in Europe because they were Jews and anti-Semitism was on the rise. And so the first half is about her life in Austria, which is so fascinating, fascinating because she married when she was young, like an Austrian arms dealer because the war was coming and like she wanted protection and she thought she would be safe with him. But eventually like he like is a piece of shit in a colossal way. Um, So she flees and goes to America. And so the second part of the book is her time in Hollywood and like I didn't love that part of the book, honestly. I felt like a lot of it was a reach. And what's crazy about Hedy Lamarr is like she was literally the most gorgeous woman of her time, amazing actress, but she was also an inventor and she like invented technology for World War II that she tried to give to the government, but they wouldn't take it. But eventually that technology is actually what powers Wi-Fi now and a lot of other like technological advances that we use every single day. And it was weird because it was like, I read the book and I was like, this, if it wasn't a true story, I would have been like, this book is bad because that could never happen. So I don't feel like she did a good enough job of like making the connection of how like Hetty was just a German girl, an Austrian girl who went to finishing school and now she's inventing Wi-Fi. But that is what happened. So for that reason, I gave it a four again. I guess it was a big four month for me because it could have been really good, but it missed the mark a little, thus four. Feel that. Dana, how'd you do? Also three books. Um... I read The Perfect Couple by Ellen Hildebrand because Jackie posted it on her story when people were enlisting her help for books. And I was like, ooh, this looks like a cute, cute one. I felt the same way. Yeah, I felt the same way about it. I feel all Ellen Hildebrand books where it's just a quick, nice, solid read. I gave it a 3.2, like just solid. Then I read Lucy by the Sea by Elizabeth Strout. Absolutely loved it. Love this author. Love all of her books. I was going to choose it for the redheads. Good thing I didn't because it's all about the pandemic. And I don't think our readership, as evidenced by our country friends, is as into that storyline. But I thought it was incredible. I gave it a 4.2. And then I read Less by Andrew Sean Greer. I gave that a 3.3. I liked it. He has a new book out that everyone's talking about. So I wanted to read this one first because they're related. But overall, I thought it was pretty good. Nothing crazy. Great. Okay. Well, I guess it was like a light month for the girlies, but I have some exciting books that I want to read next month. So stay tuned for that. And we will. Our next book, which is our last book of the year, is A Danish Choice. And historically, this is where she comes through. We had Addie LaRue, December pick. We had Midnight Library. So the bar is high. What are we reading next month? It's too much pressure, Um, but we are reading Horse by Geraldine Brooks. It is a severe deviation from my previous choices. It's a little historical fiction, a little out there. It was encouraged by um, a coveted reader in Jackie's new Florida reader group, and it got good reviews. So I went and I went out on a limb and it's a risk, but I just hope, you know, you guys like it enough. Okay. Wow. (laughs) Hopefully. Love that yes. for us. Yeah, no, It'll be interesting. It, it does look really good and it has really great reviews. I, and it looks like, you know, a significant book. So that's always nice. Oh, it, it looks like a long, a long one. Friends. It's a little long. I was going to do this. <laughs> like 
Don't worry about it. So How just, long? Just Rit, tell it. me. Over 400 pages. Okay. Like that's doable. Um, I was say five. That's okay. And then I was going to pick Jodi Picoult's new book because – I'm on strike. I'm I on Jodi Picoult's strike after the her last Jackie book. was on strike, and that one was like 450 pages. So okay, I was this like, one's like 430 pages. Right. So I was like, I can't pick a Jodi Picoult book that might be worse. That's even longer. Right. Like at least like <laughs> a Jodi what, Picoult book. What's the book, topic of Jodi's book? It was kind of weird. It was like a family and a son who was in the library all the time reading and learns. I don't. It wasn't a compelling enough for me to pick it. I just got good reviews, but like I don't know if that's just because it's. Jody I just feel like she always people. feels like whatever is like the cultural zeitgeist, she'll write about. Yeah, it didn't feel so relevant. I can't even remember what it was about, but she just makes me nervous. Like I don't, I don't trust her. Yeah, no, I'm so burned. I I will never recover. <laughs> And I didn't have like I hadn't read anything else by her, so it was my one and only experience. Oh no, you gotta read her old stuff; it's so good. But like her new so stuff good. ain't it. Yeah, so I'm really excited though. No, I heard great things about Horse, and even all the reviews on Goodreads are stellar. So that's what we'll be reading. Thank you so much, Dana. Thank you, Becky, for this great choice. Thank you, Snitch, for joining us, and thank you to all of our listeners and fellow readers out there. We hope that you liked reading along with us this month, and make sure to follow us at the Redheads on Instagram, where we post really premium content, honestly, a mixture of the book we're reading this month, what we've read in the past months, some book dumps, some funny book reading memes. You never know what you're going to get. And our merch is available at shopmorningtoast.com. So make sure to check it all out and we will see you in December. Have a great month, everyone. Bye. Bye. um, Let's just call this November Redemption. Yes, I I think we can call this a November Redemption. But you know what? Let's see how we feel in a year from now. You know, that's the real test. I feel like I like every book right when we finish it. Even Luis Velez, we were like, this is so beautiful. I still love Luis (laughs) Velez. But then it's like, how does it age in your mind? I think Hester's going to age like a fine, fine wine. Oh, you know what? Hold on, everyone. Before I let you go, I recently made a spreadsheet with all of our ratings and like – in order so I could tell you where this book ranks um, against some of our other Redheads ratings, if you're interested. Anyone? Yes. So interested. I thought you'd never ask. Okay, so we've never done a ranking based on our Redheads rating of the episode. So based on that, what we rated the highest while we, like, in the episode was Before We Were Strangers is our number one book in case anyone is a new listener and wants to know what books we liked best. I'll go in order. Number two is I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, 4.575. Number three is A Flicker in the Dark, 4.4. So Number four is The Nature of Fragile Things, 4.35. So good. Number five was The Midnight Library, 4.325. And six, Lessons in Chemistry is tied for uh, at 4.325. Seven, Nothing wow. to See Here, Eight, Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Nine, We Are the Brennans. Whoa. Ten, Girls with Bright Futures. Some of this is like not. Justice for Clara. Yeah, no, some of this is like really crazy. And of course, the last one is Our Country Friends. But 3.8 means that this is tied for number 15 with Run, Rose, Run. That feels right. That feels right. No, I think it was better than Run, Rose, Run. What's right below Run, Rose, Run? 14 or 16? 16. Four wins. Oof. 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 It was a good book, though, but it was just like a lot. Yeah. That was dreadful. I'll share the spreadsheet with you guys. Take a look at it. Let me know. Please do. Let me know your thoughts. Okay. Love you guys. Have a great rest of the month. Bye. 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 Love you.